0: Father, this morning we're thankful to be a part of a church family. We have many families that make up the larger church family. And Lord, we want to have strong families. We want to have families that are true disciples. We want to have families that are loving and kind to each other. We want to have families that have a missionary spirit in the home. We want to have families that are tight-knit and close together. We want to have marriages that are strong. And so, Father, we pray that today and every day your spirit will be poured out upon us. We want to pray, Father, that you would move upon us, that you would draw us close to you, close to each other. And we pray today, Father, that as the world has sought to creep into our homes, I pray today that as mothers and as fathers and as young people, we would take back our homes, we would take charge of our homes, and we would allow them to be sacred circles of sweet, godly influence, and your presence would be there. So bless us now as we open your word. We ask your spirit to guide and lead, and we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at five areas of the covenant marriage. I want to quickly review those with you. Can we do that? Just in case anyone missed those. And those areas were, number one, was what? Commitment. And we looked up those verses there. I'm not going to look them up again. You can get the CD. By the way, the CD will be available, and we will I will have notes for you. It actually won't be today, but it'll be soon. And we're going to post those on the website as well, but I'll have a hard copy for you also. Number two is, was radical what? Honesty and communication. We want to be honest in our homes, completely honest, even if the wife says, does this look good on me today, honey? We want to be what? We want to be honest. Now, they may not like it. My wife doesn't always like when I say, honey, that doesn't look the best. But we want to be honest, yes? And honest in all things, in our private life. Is there such a thing as a private life in the home, yes or no? No, there's not. We are one unit. Number three, we talked about trust and respect, right? Being able to trust each other's word and respecting each other. And we talked about that in depth. Number four is what? Quality time. And number five was intimacy, spiritual, emotional, and f- physical intimacy. And we talked about those five aspects of a covenant marriage. Now, what's the alternative to a covenant marriage? A contract marriage, right? And a contract marriage is is based upon you meeting whose needs? My needs, right? What can you do for me? A covenant marriage is based upon what can I do for you? How can I serve you? Amen. So, which kind of marriage do we want to have? Church? We want to have the covenant marriage. Now, today, I want to talk a little bit about families, the family unit involving the children in this. And we're going to take a look at five different areas of a happy home. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean these are the only five areas. I wish that I could have, could, could talk about this a lot more than I am, but There's enough for probably 20 or 30 sermons, and I'm trying to compact it all into one. So I try to take the broadest strokes and put it into a message. All right, I want to just start with this statement from the book, The Adventist Home, page 21. It says, while there are weighty responsibilities devolving upon the parents to guard carefully the future happiness and interests of their children, it is also their duty to make home as attractive as what? As possible. This is of far greater consequence than to acquire estates and money. You ever thought about that? For your children to have a happy home, a nice place—and when I say happy, when I say nice, I don't mean a big fancy home—but to have good memories, to have pleasant experiences, to have joyful moments in the home, that is more important to your children than what kind of house you live in. Are you with me here? and how much money is in the bank, and how many vacations you take, what kind of car you drive, how many boats or motorcycles you have. It's more important for your children to have a happy, simple, pleasant home than it is to acquire money or estates. Yes or no? It says, home must not lack sunshine. The home feeling should be kept alive in the hearts of the children, that they may look back upon the home of their childhood as a place of peace and happiness next to heaven. Now, maybe some of you did not have that growing up. I had it sometimes. I didn't always have it. Some of you may have not had it at all. Some of you may have had a very bitter experience, a very negative experience. But that doesn't mean that we can't turn that around for our own children. Amen? And if you you've have you've children grown, then for your grandchildren, yes? I can remember my home was kind of back and forth, but what I always knew when I went to grandma's house, that was a great time, amen? That was a blessing. My grandma always had something cooked for me, whether it was pinto beans and cornbread or, or homemade apple pie or something. And you could always count on the blessing of grandma's house. And so whatever you are, if you're single by yourself, you have the opportunity to minister to some young person. And when they come to your home to make it pleasant for them, amen? Now, when it says make them pleasant and happy, What it doesn't mean is to indulge. Are you with me? It doesn't mean to indulge. It doesn't mean to spoil. That's not what it means. And we're going to talk about that here as we go. So here's a verse I want us to understand that makes every home a happier home. Are you ready? We're going to say it together. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. You ready? Say it. One, two, three. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Too many people today, and and I know I'm kind of coming out the gate a little bit strong, but that's my nature sometimes, too much so, but you'll pray for me. But all these things shall be added unto you is too often what people today are chasing after for happy homes. Is it true, yes or no? How many of you found that to be true in, in many cases today? Don't raise your hands, but for how many of you here today has it been your case and your situation? But if you notice, the foundation for the happiest homes is not to be seeking after these things, not estates or money, as we saw in that quote, uh, to acquire states and money, but to seek what first? The kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to say some things that might rattle a few feathers today, but I love you, you love me, and I'll try to say them kindly, okay? Can we do that? Can we agree on that? That gets your attention. That wakes you up. If I just come out and preach, but if I say, man, I'm going to rub, then everybody's like, oh, what's he going to say? So you stop sleeping, right? All right. Another quote here from the book Adventist Home. Fathers and mothers who make God what? First. Now, let me just say something here. Making God first doesn't just mean that you go to church every Sabbath. Making God first doesn't just mean that you come to Sabbath school every week. Making God first doesn't simply mean that you return a faithful tithe and offering. Making God first doesn't mean that you hold an office in the church. Making God first means that the thread of the character and the righteousness of Christ weaves through every decision you make in the home, whether it's how you speak to your children, to where you go and what you do for vacation, how you act on vacation, how you act when you think no one's around, how you act when your children you think aren't watching or listening, how you act towards your spouse, how you act towards your coworkers, everything we say and do is related or, or, or is f- impacted by making God first. Are you with me? Yes or no? I had a guy tell me one time. He asked me a question. He says, "He says, but he says, but I re- I return my tithe, I return my offering. He says, doesn't that mean that I get to spend the rest of my money however I want to because it's mine? I gave God His." But it's mine. But no, friends, every decision we make with the rest of that money also makes a difference, doesn't it? It tells who we are, yes or no. Do you see what I'm saying here? So so making God first is much more than just what I do in church on Sabbath. It's every aspect of my life. All my choices. whatsoever you do, do how much? All to the glory of God. Are you with me? All right. Those who make God first in their households, who teach their children that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, glorify God before angels and before men by presenting to the world a well ordered, well disciplined family, a family that love and obey instead God instead of rebelling against him. I mean we could say amen. How many of you want a family that doesn't just obey God, but also loves Him? How many of you want a family that doesn't just proclaim a love for God, but also obeys Him? Amen? We want that both. So here's five aspects to a happy home. We're going to talk about these this morning. Number one, we want to be Messiah-minded. Now, why do you say, why do you call it that? Well, you'll see here in a minute. Number one, we want to be Messiah-minded. Number two, we want to be message-minded. Number three, we want to be ministry-minded. Number four, we want to be mission-minded. And number five, we want to be mundane-minded. Now, what do I mean by that? We'll talk about that in just a minute. So why did I call it the number one Messiah-minded? Because I needed two M's, right? And I sat for about 10 minutes thinking of two M's to put for this, all right? Okay, number one, let's talk about Messiah-minded. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and this is a text you're probably very familiar with, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, notice what scripture says, one verse, Ephesians 6 verse 4, it says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to what? To wrath." but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. What does it mean to provoke your children to wrath? What are some ways that parents, not just fathers, but parents can provoke their children to wrath? Let me hear you. Say again. Treating them harshly. How else? Very good. How else? Accusing them, falsely accusing. You know, what's a simple way? What have you done now? before you even know what's done, right? What else? Teasing them, irritating them. My son doesn't like to be teased, right? Anyone else? Huh? The wrong example. There you go. Somebody said something over here. Double standards. Beautiful. There's lots of ways that provoke our children. And the the result of that provocation may not have immediate results. But just like with you, those things tend to build and build and build. And we think, well, they're fine because they're not responding. But then one day we realize that it has taken its toll and they completely turn off. Are you with me? Yes or no? So the Bible says, don't provoke your children. Now, now, what's the best way, let me ask you, to not provoke your children? What do you think? See? Love them. Let's say it together. To love them. Love covers a multitude of sins, and love is the answer for most everything. Amen? To love them. How do we love them? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's go over to Colossians chapter 3. You flip over that way. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Colossians 3 and verse 21 Notice this. This text hit me very hard. Colossians 3, verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become what? Discouraged. Provoking your children can actually bring discouragement to them because they get frustrated, they feel short feel they feel provoked. How many of you like people to provoke you? I'll tell you a little secret. I don't know if my wife's not here today. She's up at with the pastor's wives at Camp Sable. But sometimes when I get overly tired, I like to tease and pick at my wife. And so oftentimes just before bed, I'll try to tickle her or something, and she doesn't like it. She gets mad, and, I, and I'm provoking her, and wrongfully so. And you know, I'll tell you that the Lord rebuked me of this. And he said, don't do that because she's the Lord's want property. Amen. And people have a right to set boundaries with us. Amen. And, and and to not cross those boundaries. And it's very easy to provoke people, whether you're teasing them at their expense, whether you're telling a joke or accusing them or, or any of the things that were mentioned and more. But I think we all know that understanding of provoking. Now, at the same time, when we When we want to be Messiah-minded, we want to be like Christ, Christ Christ-like-minded. Is there a need for discipline in the home? What do you think? There's very much a need of discipline in the home. Is there a need for correction? What do you think? Yes. Is there a need for instruction and education? What do you think? There's very much a need for this. But look with me in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And verse five. I'm sorry. Actually, backing up here. We're going to be in verse three. Colossians, I'm sorry. Philippians two, verse three. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so Jesus came to humble himself for service. Yes or no? And as parents in the home, as leaders of our families, God calls us to also be what? Servants. Can you be, in a, can you be a servant and still be an authority? Yes or no? What do you think? Many parents today think that, that loving their children means letting them do whatever they want. Letting them run all over them. Letting them make the decision. I remember I was at a grocery store about two years ago, when this was back when I was still in Traverse City, a little over two years ago. And I was in the store, and I was picking up a few items, and this mother was speaking to her son, and the son was probably seven or eight years old, and she kept asking the boy repeatedly, what do you want for supper? And the boy says, I don't know. And she would ask him, what do you want? What do you want us to eat for supper tonight? It as if she was speaking to her husband. And the boy says, I don't know. And he kept getting more and more frustrated. And the mother was also getting frustrated because the child could not decide what the family would have for dinner. And I thought to myself, why is a child making a major decision for the family when that's the role of the parents? And the reason is that this day and age is that we have children raising children. We have people who have grown up and who have never been parented trying to now also raise children, and they're looking to their children to make the decisions that they never learned how to do. And so, as a parent, we are called to be servants, but we're also called to be the authority. Are you with me? Now, that doesn't mean, don't misunderstand me, I'm not talking about ruling with an iron fist, but we ought to not be laying burdens of decision-making in the home. These days, friends, children are making, are ruling the households in many places, in many cases. How many of you know that that's true? You've seen it happen. Children are ruling the households, and it is not their responsibility. We are doing children a disservice when we do that type of a thing. You understand? Now, I'm not talking about we should invite the children at, in certain decisions to, get, to bring input, to make them a part of the home. You understand? But at the same time, the parents need to step up and be the authority, but with love. Now, my son will often ask me, and I'm not picking on him here. I'm just using an example. He will ask me, and every every child will do this. They'll want to do certain things, correct? I want to do this. Can I do this or can I do that? And oftentimes, the answer I I see parents giving their children is no. I mean, and, And they're yelling at them. They're impatient with them. My wife was telling me this story the other day about a woman she saw at a a subway or something, and her daughter was in there, and she was just getting on to her daughter, just about nothing, just yelling at her, impatient with her, and nasty with her. And I thought about that, and, you know, when we discipline our children, when we tell our children no, there needs to be something that is replaced with that. You know, the, the natural question when you, that a child will ask when you tell them no is what? Why, right? Or when you ask them to do something, the natural question is why? In our home, we do not answer that question until the obedience is fulfilled. And here's why. I've seen this happen a million times. When a parent says, I need you to do this, and the child says why, And the parent then goes into an explanation of why they need to do it. And and it's a noble thing to think about because we think, well, I want them to know all the reasons why that it's a good thing. What happens is this, is as you explain that, the child is deciding for themselves whether or not they're going to do it if your reasons for doing it are good enough. Are you with me? And so when you start to answer that question why, who then slips right into the role of authority? It's the child. I say, So I'll say to, to, to my son, son, I need you to do this. Why? I'll tell you why right after you do it. When you do it, you come to me, and then I'll explain why. And off he goes, and he does it, because we have built a relationship of trust. And that's the whole goal. That's the whole thing you need to do as a parent, is to earn the trust of our children. Amen? We do not earn trust by indulgence. We do not earn trust by spoiling. We earn trust through love, self-sacrificing love. Are you with me? And so, what was the other thing I was going to tell you? When they say, when you tell them to do something, they say why, you tell them, if you tell them why, they become the authority. Now, I have something important i was going to say, and I forgot it. It'll come back to me. What's that? Oh yes, substituting. When, when I, when I say no to my son and he says why, my answer is usually this. It's because it's not what's best for you. If we will commit in our homes to giving our children only what is best, they will be very happy. They will be very happy. And when I say best, what I'm not talking about is the most expensive tennis shoes, the most expensive clothing, those kind of things. I'm talking about character wise. If my son asks me, can I do this? And I say, and I say no, and he'll often say why. I'll say, will you tell me why you think that's not a good idea? I want to hear what you have to say. And you know what? Somewhere between 90 and 95% of the time, he tells me exactly the right thing because many times children will sometimes ask the question can i do this knowing the answer will be no and when you and when you ask they ask why and you have them explain to you why the reason they asked in the first place is not because they thought it would be okay to do it but because they wanted to see if you if you loved them enough to set a boundary for them you talk to children today and, and one of the things uh, that they say in a broken abuse of homes where the parents don't care, they say, I want my parents to love me and I want them to discipline me. I want them to give me structure. I want them to give me boundaries. And children today, the scientific studies are through the roof that children need discipline. Loving discipline, but discipline nonetheless. Now you go to the story of 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm not going to look this up, but you can write this down and look it up. But there was a priest named Eli, and he had two sons, and he had not disciplined his sons properly when they were growing up. And when they grew up, they began to, they were priests also, and they began abusing the people. They were, they were, they were, they were, um, how do I say this appropriately? They were trying to be too kind to the women that came to the temple. They were abusing the sacrifices. They were extorting the people. And all kinds of things, you can fill in the blank. The passage talks about it. And in fact, I do want to go there. I do want to go there. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 22 and on. 1 first first Samuel chapter 2. I want you to notice this. We'll start in verse uh, 22. Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You can understand what that means. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I fear, I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. Now, if you drop on down to verse 27, if you read the book Patriarchs and Prophets, you find that Eli did not discipline his sons. He did not restrain them from evil when they were growing up. And friends, I'm going to tell you this. We have to be determined. We have to be determined more than the will of the child who wants to do that thing that is wrong, to not allow them to do it. Now, I'm not talking about breaking the will of the child. I'm talking about refocusing it and retraining it. Are you with me? Helping it grow in the righteousness of God. But if we do not restrain our children from evil, they will grow up and they will transgress. They will leave the church They will rebel against authority. It's a proven fact over and over and over again from generation after generation. Okay? So God speaks to him and he says, thus says the Lord, verse 27, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to burn incense and wear an ephod? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children? Look at verse 29. Why do you kick my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of, the, of Israel, my people? What was the problem with Eli? Is that he valued the approval of his children more than the approval of God. And because of that, he indulged his children and allowed them. He allowed them to commit transgressious acts when he did not correct them when they were children. And when he, as he did not correct them as children, they, they grew up to, to continue to just go more and more and deeper and deeper. Are you with me? Yes or no, friends? Today there are there are parents, and bless their hearts. Some of them are doing the best they can. I'm not. I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm not even talking necessarily about the church. I'm talking. I am talking about the church but also the world. But there are parents who will not correct their children because they say, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them to not like me. I don't want them to to, to 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 not be my friend. Children are not your friend. They are your children. Now, that doesn't mean you can't become friends with them. You understand? But the parenting role takes precedent over the friend role. And if you're a true friend, you'll be a parent. Amen? And so, friends, we cannot love our children's affection in their indulgence more than teaching them the way of the Lord. But, the Adventist home, page 18, remember that children need not only reproof and correction, but encouragement and what? Commendation. The pleasant sunshine of kind words. How many of you think that that's a beautiful thing that needs to be brought into every home? Encouragement and commendation. Not encouragement in the wrong thing, but encouragement in the right thing. Now notice this statement here. It's beautiful. Every Christian home should have rules, and parents should, in their words and deportment towards each other, give to the children a precious living example of what they desire them to be. Purity in speech and true Christian courtesy. Should be constantly practiced. And so every home has to have structure, yes or no. And one of the most beautiful things to do is to allow the children to partake in the making of the rules. We have we have a, a, a few home rules at home. I think it's about five or ten. And they are be some of them are being respectful to others, being honest, you know, being responsible, and these types of things. And when the children participate, in the, you'll be amazed at how earnest and moral children can be when you pray for them and let God speak through them. Amen? And so you help let them help set the rules. What kind of rules do you think would be good for our home? And they'll tell you some things. We should be honest. Then when, you, when the, those things are violated, you come back to the children and say, hey, um, what rule was violated? They'll tell you the rule and then they'll more readily accept the discipline. Does that make sense? But notice this. Teach the children and youth to respect themselves, to be true to God, to be true to principle. Teach them to respect and obey the law of God. These principles will control their lives and will be carried out in their associations with others. So not only will they be godly, but they will be influencing others to also be godly. Does that sound like a familiar story to you? Maybe Daniel chapter 1? Huh? I always say to my son, Son, we always want to be loving, true, and kind. Always. I repeat that to his ears all the time. Children who receive this kind of instruction will be prepared to fill places of responsibility and by precept and example will constantly be aiding others to do right. Such souls are strongly fortified against temptation. They are surrounded by a wall not easily broken down. If we want our children to be strong, if we want our children to stay in the church, we don't need to feed them rock music. We don't need to feed them coffee shop Christianity. We just need to teach them the fundamental principles of truth and biblical uh, love. And how many of you think that will do the trick? You see, we're, trying to, we're spending all this money trying to figure out why kids leave the church. It's very simple. It's very simple. It's written for us beforehand for thousands of years. I want to encourage you to read the book Adventist Home, chapters 1 through 5, they cover this first section. I can't talk about everything here today, but uh, we have to move on. But read these chapters, friends. Read these books. It's very powerful. One more statement before we go on. Never forget that you are to make the home bright and happy for yourselves and for your children by cherishing the Savior's attributes. If you bring Christ into the home, you will know good from evil. You will be able to help your children to be the trees of righteousness Bearing fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Number two, mission, I'm sorry, message minded. Go with me to Second Timothy real quickly. Second Timothy and chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one and verse one and two. He says here, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now he talks about men there, but it would also um, propose to you that children. And I want you to flip over to chapter 3 there, the same book, Second Timothy. And he says here in... uh Verse 14, he says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the second thing that I want to mention is that our children need to be message-minded. Well, what do I mean by that? They need to know the Bible. That's what I mean by that. They need to know our Adventist beliefs. They need to know the 28 fundamental beliefs. They need to understand the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. They need to understand our Adventist heritage and history. I cannot tell you how many academies I've been to, how many universities I've been to, and young people, even in university level, do not know our fundamental beliefs. Garrett sent me a video class at one of our universities down in Texas with a class on basic fundamental biblical theology, and it took the students 20 minutes to understand what a beast meant in Bible prophecy. 20 minutes. They had no idea. No idea. They, could not, they did not understand Daniel chapter 2. It ought to be... There's no excuse. Amen. Our children need to know our message. They need to know about Christ and what he's done for them. They need to understand repentance. They need to understand that Christ is our only righteousness. He's our only hope. They need to understand their need for a savior. They need to understand our beautiful prophetic message. Amen? What do you think this morning? They need to understand it. Notice this, Adventist homepage 187. Fathers and mothers are responsible for the health constitution the development of the character of their children. No one else should be left to see to this work. And becoming the parents of children, it devolves upon you to cooperate with the Lord and educating them in sound principles. How sad it is that many parents have cast off their God-given responsibility to their children and are willing that strangers should bear it for them. They are willing that others should labor for their children and relieve them of all burden in the matter. Let me tell you, friends, It's not up to the church school. It's not up to the pastor. It's not up to the Sabbath school departments. But we are to train our children in the ways of the Lord. Yes or no? Please. I've met parents. I've met them who say, oh, I don't want to share a prophecy with my children because I don't want to scare them. Let me tell you, almost every Adventist young person who gets excited about the Lord, who was raised in the church, they do so because they study out the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. They understand where we are in our earth's history. They understand that our church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, is not just simply another denomination, but it is God's remnant church of prophecy raised up through prophecy to proclaim a message of prophecy and hope and love to the world and to warn them that Jesus is coming soon. Parents, please, train your children in these things. Help them understand that they have a duty. They have a mission that God has called them to, to proclaim this message through their lives, whatever they do in whatever profession. Are you with me? Can we agree? Am I being too harsh on you? Okay, good. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. The third one is ministry-minded. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Go with me there. Galatians 6 and verse 2, I have one text for you here. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do what, friends? Bearing one another's burdens. In our home, we teach our children that everyone lives here, so everyone helps. Everyone is a part of taking care of this home. Every day, my, just this morning, my little daughter, I said, honey, breakfast is over. It's time to take your little plate to the count, to the sink. And she gets down and she grabs her plate and off she goes with that little plate, one and a half years old, already learning to lift the burdens of her mother and her parents and learning to take responsibility for herself. Now I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand. Do not misunderstand. I'm not saying this boastfully, okay? I'm not saying it boastfully because you, I can assure you, you come to my home, depending on the time of the day, and you'll hear your fair share of fits and crying and those things, okay? And you'll see the faults of me as a parent. And I have a lot of faults as a parent. But the point, the only examples I have is in my own home, so I'm sharing those with you. But everyone is part of relieving each other's burdens. If you live in this house, you are responsible to help take care of it. Yes or no? We want to train our children to be helpful. You know, there's another pastor family in this conference, and uh, their names are the Hubbards, Tom and Amy Hubbard. How many of you know them? And Tom is a very, very good friend of mine, and their children are some of the most helpful children I have ever met in my life. They, They look for people whom they can go to help, and I I was down there staying with them for a few days at one time, and I, I told the son, I said, I'll give you $10 if you'll wash my car. And, he, and, and most kids would say, I'll do it for 20 right? I'm not 10 bucks. He says, why would you pay me? He says, I'll do it for free. I just want to be a blessing to you. And I was like, and he's like 13 years old, right? We ought to train our children to be helpful to people. What do you think? To not complain. And we do that by leading by a personal example, yes? By personal example. Relieving each other's burdens and taking the time to train them. You know, how many of you, and I'm going to raise my hand, and you don't have to raise your hand if you're not comfortable, it's okay. But how many times have you ever been doing something, and the child comes to help, and they say, can I help? And you say, sure. And after about a minute, you're like, oh, just just never mind, I'm just going to do it. Because it's quicker and easier to do it yourself, right? Now there's a statement, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have it here, but there's a statement that says it is better for you to stop and take the time to train that child and let them help you than it is to get that thing done. Because when you pull that child alongside of you, you're training them, you're discipling them, amen? You're teaching them the way of being profitable and fruitful and helpful in the world, yes? You're training them. So take the time. Don't be so... So many times I'm tempted to say, move, move son, I'm going to do it. Just get out of the way, right? But when we take that time, you see the glow in those eyes because they see that they've accomplished something and you've helped them. There's nothing more beautiful than that in all the world, amen? That's a beautiful thing. They should have age-appropriate work. I mean, my daughter's already taken her plate to the sink. My son has chores. In the summertime, he, he's working in the garden. This year, we're getting some chickens so the kids can take care of them and learn responsibility. We're not going to eat them, but we're going to just keep them as pets, right? And so, ministry-minded, being ministry-minded. Notice the statement from two, page 287, the Avenue's Home. It says, In the home, training of the youth, in the home, training of the youth, the principle of cooperation is invaluable. The older ones should be their parents' assistants entering into their plans and sharing their responsibilities and burdens. Let fathers and mothers take time to teach their children. Let them show that they value their help, desire their confidence, and enjoy their companionship. Isn't that beautiful? And the children will not be slow to respond. You know, sometimes kids, when they get older, they just they don't want to do anything, right? Could it be possible, not always, not across the board, could it be possible that it's because we've been impatient with them, we've pushed them aside, we've told them what to do without helping them? Could it be possible that that's part of the reason at least? What do you think? I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but I'm trying to help us to see these things. Not only will the parents' burden be lightened, but the children receive practical training of an inestimable worth. But there will be a strengthening of the home ties and a deepening of the very foundations of character. I mean, think that's powerful. We need this experience. What do you think today? We need it. The fourth one is being mission minded. Here's another statement I want to read to you. It says, God wants every child of tender age to be his child, to be adopted into his family. Young though they may be, the youth may be members of the household of faith and have a most precious experience. In their early years, children may be useful in God's work. He will give them His grace and His Holy Spirit that they may overcome impatience, fretfulness, and all sin. Jesus loves the children. He has blessings for them, and He loves to see them obedient to their parents. He desires them to be His little missionaries, denying their own inclinations and desires for selfish pleasure to do service for Him. And this service is just as acceptable to God as is the service of grown-up children. Let me say amen. By precept and example, parents are to teach their children to labor for the unconverted. The children should be so educated that they will sympathize with the aged and afflicted and will seek to alleviate the sufferings of the poor and distressed. They should be taught to be diligent in missionary work and from their earliest years, self-denial and sacrifice for the good of others and the advancement of Christ's cause should be inoculated and they may be laborers together with God. Question this morning. Have we as parents, and I'm talking to myself, laid upon our children the importance of laboring for souls? From the very youth, from the very early ages, have we done this? Have you done it? I don't know. But friends this is one of the most important gifts that we can give our children. More than a Christmas toy, more than a birthday gift, but the precious gift of a burning passion to see lost souls saved in the kingdom of God. What do you think this morning? Now, I want to just say something here that there seems to be this trend going on across the board in the church today, and I'm not talking just about this church, I'm talking about the church at large, that we have replaced family time with just simply fun time. Now what I mean by this is that there's nothing wrong with having fun. But what's happened is we've replaced the family time with God with family fun time. I remember hearing a story about a man who who said that, you know, he never took his children to the midweek service because he said, oh, well, that's our family night. And when his children grew up, they just gradually drifted out of the church because they didn't see the importance of it. Now, I'm trying to word this the best way I can. There's nothing wrong with having fun, but but keep in mind this. Let me just say it this way. Family time has become only fun time and we have little time for God's time. We have so much drifted as a people to where fun takes precedence over everything. What do you think? The first question that often comes out of young people's mouths today, is it going to be fun? Or am I going to be bored? And guess what? It's actually A pretty good thing for your kids to be bored sometimes. But family time doesn't mean detaching ourselves from the principles of God to take pleasure in indulgence. Does that make sense? Yes or no? You can have family time by getting together in the kitchen and baking loaves of bread to take to your neighbors. The most important, and that's fun. I mean, have a little flower fight or something, right? But family time doesn't have to replace family mission times. That makes sense. We need to detach from those worldly activities and find ways to have family time that are productive, fun, but godly and, and fruitful. I can't, I don't know how else to say it. Here's another thing that troubles me is that there's, there was a movement in past years that says, Family has to come first. How many of you? How many of you believe that? I believe that because we're told in the spirit of prophecy that that family is the first ministry. Yes. However, however, many people misunderstand that, misinterpret that to mean that we lay that we lay down important other responsibilities to make the family first, rather than rallying the family around those responsibilities and performing them as a family. Does that make sense? God has not called us to lay down spiritual responsibilities to, to then go out and just spend time with our families in meaningless, fruitless, unproductive ways. But he's called us to bring our families in. We can still have fun. We can still have a good time. We can still honor and glorify God. Amen? Amen. I'm, I'm leaving a lot out, but it's all right. The last one is to be mundane-minded. Look at this, Proverbs twenty-six, fifteen. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. What do I mean by this? Go with me quickly to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. We're almost through here. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Romans 12 and verse 3. Paul says this, For I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. There is a common idea today in culture that everything has to be exciting and stimulating and, and there's also this idea in the culture that there's a hierarchy that sometimes I'm too good, or people develop the mentality that I'm too good or I'm above certain tasks in life. Are you with me? Does that ring a bell with anybody? You know what I'm talking about here? Raise your hand if you're with me. I know it's 1230, but just bear with me another minute, okay? There's this concept that it, it, I, I'm above those things. And let me just say it this way, a princess mindset a princess mindset. Surely we are the sons and daughters of God. Surely we are the princes and princesses of God. But the idea of a godly princess and a worldly princess are radically far miles apart. You understand? No one is too good to scrub toilets. No one is too good to do the humble work. Our children need to labor. They need to understand what it means to work. Today in this society, they're just focused on academics. And they need to know what it actually means to work and with their hands and to do a work that is common. You understand? They need to understand that not everything in life is going to be fun and exciting. And as parents, we need not indulge them to try to make everything fun and exciting. Some things just have to be done because they have to be done. And children need to learn that that is okay. Sometimes you just got to get her done. Does that make sense? The mundane, ordinary life is good for children. It's good for them to be bored. We have a rule. If you say you're bored in our house, we find something for you to do. I learned that from my dad and my uncle. If I said I'm bored, I was out chopping brush and moving rocks, and you move this pile of rocks over here, and when you get done with it, then you move it back over here. And then when you're done with that, you go dig a hole, and when you're done, I want that hole X amount of feet deep, so many feet wide, and when you're done, guess what? You fill it in. We didn't talk about being bored. We found things to do, amen? The mundane mind... Minded life is okay. Amen? That doesn't mean we don't teach our children to excel in academics. Doesn't mean we don't teach them to excel in everything. But let them do the common work and teach them, friends, to be cheerful in it. It's good for them. Work is good for all of us. Yes or no? Don't give them the most favorable jobs all the time. Give them sometimes the least favorable. When a new pastor comes to, to, to be my assistant here, He goes through all the classes in the Sabbath school and he starts in cradle roll. He's down there, down there, putting the felts on. He goes through. There's nothing wrong with those things. Amen. If we do this, we teach, if we don't do it, rather, we teach our children to be lazy and they will become unproductive, slothful, and ultimately not have the character that Christ wants them to have. Now, I certainly didn't cover everything in this, in this aspect. There's lots of books. We have lots of qualified people. to Osterman, very qualified to teach on these things. But these are five things that I felt burdened to share with our church family this morning. I hope that they've been a blessing to you. But I want to make an appeal this morning. It's time to, by the grace of God and the love of God and for the love of God and for the love of our children, claim our children back for the Lord. What do you think this morning? claim our grandchildren. It's time to regain our families. It's time to regain our church. And it's time to put these things in the proper place in our homes. What do you think this morning? And I'm pleading with us today, men, become the priests of your home. Become the priests of your home. Be the spiritual leader of your homes. If you don't have a husband, ladies, step up and be the spiritual leader. Guide our children. Love them, educate them, discipline them, be loving and kind, but firm, and train them in the ways of the Lord. Amen? I'm appealing to you today. How many of you would accept that charge this morning? To say, Lord, I want to be the spiritual leader of our homes. I want our homes to be godly examples of heaven on earth. We want to make some changes. How many of you think this, all these four sermons are going to require changes in your life today? Changes in your home? Hold each other accountable. Young people, hold your parents accountable, kindly and respectfully. Spouses, hold each other accountable, kindly and respectfully. Let's not let the world or Satan have a foothold in our homes. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,